All right. Book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 1 to 19. It's uh, it's a bit of an intense lesson for a Sunday or late afternoon. Let me walk us into it. Last week, we concluded the first missionary journey. Those of you who were here. The apostles returned to Antioch and reported on their successful ministry in Gentile territory, especially to the Gentiles. They had penetrated the Gentile world with the gospel. Um, they have preached the gospel to the proconsul on the uh, Greek island of Cyprus. Um, it seems like he believed the gospel. In Syrian Antioch, the Gentiles were extremely glad when they heard that God would forgive them of their sin if they believed Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. In Iconium, the half of basically the Gentiles believed. In Lystra, the Gentile crowd were on their way to potentially believe in Jesus when the Jews suddenly arrived from Syrian Antioch and Iconium to come and kill them. They stoned Paul and left him for dead outside the town. In Derby, a large number of Gentiles had come to believe in Jesus. We don't hear much more about that. And now they arrive in Antioch, their mission post, and it's also their sending church, and they are going to report back. They're reporting back to the church what had happened. There's the map over there for those of you who have not been with us on the journey. The red is the journey there. The blue is the journey back. And we read in Acts chapter 14, 27, on arriving there, back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So key what I want us to understand as we go into the text tonight is, is that they had had a successful missionary journey, specifically to the Gentiles. They had brought a message of salvation to people who did not believe in the Jewish God, in, in Yahweh. Jesus brought Yahweh into the hearts and the minds of the pagans, which is absolutely incredible. So it was glorious to see aliens, Gentiles, come under the blessings and promises of God. Gentiles receiving salvation through the Jewish promises must have been an incredible experience for a guy like Paul. The apostles are on a high. If you want a spiritual injection in your life, see something powerful that God does in somebody's life. So I think that they were on a high. But what happens when you are on a high? You come down. You are brought down by Satan, and Satan launches his attack again. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How does he do it? What does he do? As usual, let's look at a few questions. What is necessary for salvation? This is the, one of the most simplest questions that people actually struggle to answer. Like, what exactly do I need to go to heaven? I guarantee you some of us are not 100% sure about this. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Most people call themselves Christians. You ask them, what must I do to be saved? They can't really tell you. I might be asking that question tonight. You might, you, you might say, well, this, 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 this. But if you come down to the grit, it's actually not what you necessarily believe. You believe there might be some other things as well. We'll talk about that. Um, do you seek spiritual or doctrinal advice from others even when you are sure? 
Usually we go ask people for advice on topics because um, we are not sure. But even if you are sure, do you test what you believe by going to ask other people? What does it mean to be saved through faith? What does that really mean? I mean, this is a, this is a big debate that's, going, that's been going on for ages. Are we saved through faith or are we saved through works? But what does it mean to be saved through faith? Does it mean that I just believe in my mind Jesus is who He claims to be and that's it? Or is faith something else? Is faith perhaps something deeper than that? Um, do we have the capacity to claim who is saved and who, is, who isn't? Do we have that platform? Do we have the capability to say, Susie is going to heaven and Jack isn't? Sorry, brother. <laughs> that just came out. And then I saw you. Um, what makes it difficult for people to embrace Christianity, do you think? What makes it harder for them to become Christians? These are all questions that I think we'll sort of touch on as we go on with this. All right, let's look at the text. So the apostles are in Jerusalem, right? Oh, oh not in Jerusalem, Antioch. Apologies. They are in Antioch. They've been on their missionary journey. They've come back. They're reporting back, right? While they are there, certain people came down from Judea. Where's Judea? South, right? It's where Jerusalem is. So that these people came from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. The believers in who? The believers in Jesus. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So, we find in summary here the, the issue in the book of Galatians. These guys came to the church and they said, listen, in a nutshell, Jesus is not enough to get to heaven. You need something else too. Right? Very simple. Jesus is not enough. You need something else too. You need Moses and you need circumcision. So you guys that meet here at the house and you believe in Jesus, you need to set up a circumcision booth outside as well. These guys want to go to heaven, you need to circumcise them. I wonder what they said about the woman, right? Um, so you, you, you become a Christian, that is the first step. But if you want to go to heaven, become a Jew too. It's interesting, right? And this contradicted everything Paul taught and have experienced up to this point. Can you imagine how Paul would have to go back? He had to go back, his whole missionary trip, and go tell everybody, sorry guys, I was wrong. Jesus isn't enough. You need to get snipped as well. Let's go back to Moses. Can you imagine how traumatic this is for Paul? If this was to be true. Paul had just spent, gone through a whole missionary trip and preached the false gospel. He didn't preach the whole gospel according to these teachers. Can you imagine how the Gentiles would have taken this? Oh my goodness, I've got to become like a Jew, cut my genitalia, in order to go to heaven. For a, for a Gentile, this was rough. For a Jew, that's simple. I mean, it's in tradition, right? You get circumcised because your father is circumcised. But if you're a Gentile, that's weird. It's a strange thing to experience. And you, you imagine how they looked at Paul. Well, Paul, you just came and taught me that I just have to believe and put my faith in Christ, and then I can have eternal life. And now you are telling me, no, uh, sorry, that's, that's actually the wrong message. You have to be cut, and you have to go to Moses, and you have to go do all kinds of other types of things. So Jesus doesn't really take care of it all. The question tonight to us is this. 
does Jesus take care of it all? I'm glad you believe that, Mom. We have to believe it. That's what makes it good news. The gospel is good news. I can't do it. He must. Otherwise, I'm damned. So, it's not based on my performance, my ability, my merit. If it's based on what I do, my physical body, and how I cut myself, or what I eat, if it's based on that, then that's not the gospel. That's, that's performance-orientated um, salvation. And then I'll just rather leave the whole thing, because I'm not going to make it. If I need to be circumcised to be saved, then why do I need Jesus? So, because then I can just go circumcise myself, and then I'm saved in any ways. That's pretty simple and painful, I assume. Now, of course, this type of teaching, do you think it's rampant today? This is it. This is how you evaluate it. What must I do to get to heaven? Jesus plus something else. Do you think there's teaching going around like that today? Of course there is. There's lots of that. I'll give you a few examples. Jesus plus obedience to the New Testament pattern of worship. I'm talking about the Acapella Churches of Christ. They literally believe that you need Jesus, yes. Baptism, gospel obedience, all of that. Yes, that's fine. You need that. But also, every Sunday you must worship with the church that doesn't use musical instruments. It's an addition to the gospel. And I've discussed it with these guys. I say, okay, so when do I lose my salvation? On the first Sunday, the second Sunday, or the third Sunday that I worship with the guitar? Because you've just added a condition to the gospel. So Jesus is not enough anymore. Now it's about in which church I sit on a Sunday and whether there's a guitar or not. It's an addition. What about the um, Seventh-day Adventists? Yes, Jesus is great, but you need to observe the Sabbath as well. Every Saturday, every Friday night from 6 till Saturday at 6, you better not be making food, driving around your car, or mowing the lawn. You, you, need, to, you need that as well. So it's Jesus plus Sabbath obedience. Or it's Jesus plus a cappella worship. Or what about the... Um, the, Mormonists, the, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's Jesus. Yes, Jesus is great, but also you need to be a member of this church. You cannot just have Jesus and not be a fully-fledged Mormon or a fully-fledged Jehovah's Witnesses. No, you need church membership as well. Your name needs to be on the books. So it's Jesus plus the church membership gets you to heaven. And what about Pentecostalism? Big one. It's Jesus plus you need to be speaking in tongues. If you're not speaking in tongues, sorry, you're not saved. So it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. I can go give a million examples. Ask yourself the question in your mind. What do you need to get heaven? Is Jesus enough or do you have a plus? Let's read. So this is the problem. Some guys came. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. 
the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. The text says that a sharp dispute and debate developed between Paul and Barnabas and these guys. Okay? They wanted to have nothing to do with this. When Paul and Barnabas heard about this, they didn't want nothing to do with it. They opposed it vehemently. Now, if you want to see more clarity on this, on this specific topic, you've got to go study the book of Galatians. He writes in Galatians to actually these churches, Iconium, Lystra. These are churches of Galatia. He writes to them when this issue arose. Because this, this doctrine seems to have spread from Antioch also north into the places where he just came from. So he writes the book of Galatians and he says to them, it feels like I'm having pregnancy pains, which is a weird thing to say. Right? And I think the reason why he's saying that is because it is probably the most excruciating pain a human being can experience. But it's an anticipation for birth to take place. And so Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, it feels like I'm in childbearing pain again. Because you guys, uh, it feels like I have to go through this pain and struggle again to bring you the gospel because you've deserted it and you've gone to something that's no gospel uh, at all. So you can go read Galatians. I mean, that, that really unpacks it. I mean, he says to the church there, you know what, this is your teaching. Why don't you just cut off the whole thing? Circumcision. Just cut off the whole thing. Why don't you just emasculate yourself? If you feel that's going to get you to heaven, then just take it all off. Make a real big sacrifice. Now, there are three reasons... Um, in Galatians, why Paul, I think, is taking it so seriously. And I'll share them with you just briefly. The first thing is this. Because you're exchanging sonship for slavery. Sonship for slavery. Jews were slaves to the law until Christ came. Paul is saying, if you read Galatians 2, 4 to 5, Paul is saying that there will be people in your life who would want to enslave you with laws. Don't give in. You have freedom in Christ. I want to say that again. You and I have been set free by Christ. Don't allow people to put all kinds of laws in place. Like, for example, ladies, you have to wear something on your head. And if you don't, you're not going to go to heaven. Simple example. There are people who teach that. Gentiles were slaves to non-existent gods until Christ. Man-made religion enslaves. Christ's religion sets free. Whenever you come across a teaching that's trying to enslave you, no, it's from Satan. It's law. It's pushing you back to law instead of freedom in Christ. Man's religion is about outward observance. Christ's religion is about inner change. Laws are weak and miserable. They enslave. Now here's the common pattern. Jews are set free by Christ, but they cannot understand the amazingness of being free. There must be a trick, so they return to law. It's like a sheep who needs to be in a pen. He cannot understand how you can be free. And we humans, we're the same. Gentiles are set free by Christ. They no longer have to submit to the laws of their pagan religions, but the amazingness of freedom feels too good to be true. It cannot be true. 
and so they returned to their pagan law. Christ sets Christians free in the 21st century, but it feels too good to be true. So we design laws and we wrap it under the umbrella of doctrine and impose it on others and ourselves. Because we, it cannot be that we are free. How can people like us be free? Well, how can Jesus say, the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed then, if you're not free? So, we become slaves. A Christian is not a slave. He's a son. God makes you a son. Then you choose to become his slave. He doesn't force you to be a slave. He makes you a son and says, if you love me, become voluntarily my slave. So yes, I do what I can to please Him out of my heart because I want to. Not because my salvation is dependent on that and my performance. So, we think we are slaves because Christ has not been formed in us. That's what Paul writes to the Galatians. You don't know who Jesus is if you think you're a slave. You don't understand what Jesus did on the cross if you operate like a slave. You don't understand it. When Christ is in you, you are a son. This is why Paul asked the church, he said, Who bewitched you? You're on drugs. You've been messed, they've messed with your mind. Something's wrong with you. Why would you give up your sonship to become a slave? Who would want to do that? This evening, we have to choose between the son and the law. If we choose the law, we will be judged by the law. If we choose the Son, we will be judged by the Son. Who do you want to be judged by? The Son that understands what it feels like to be you and a human? Or the law that is empty and just words and legalities? That doesn't take into consideration you or your feelings or your experiences or your past. Law and grace don't work well together. This is why I don't believe that we will be judged by the Bible in terms of law, but that we will be judged by Christ. Now, that's a big topic of discussion for, for another day. But if we are going to be judged by the Bible, we're all going to hell. Because we've all broken the Bible. We've all disobeyed the text. We'll be measured against the Bible, but we'll be judged by Christ. So if you are judged by the Bible, chapter and verse will be used to judge you, and you will come second. You will lose. All of us loses. All of us. But if you're judged by Christ, mercy and grace will be used to judge you, and you'll receive life. So let me bring it home. Well, let me go to the second point. I'll leave that. Exchanging salvation by grace for salvation by merit. That's the second problem. Now, if you go read Galatians 2, 15 to 16, chapter 3, 1 to 5, you see the following. Faith plus nothing equals justification. Abraham, his faith was accredited to him as righteousness. We know that text, right? Faith plus law, the law of Moses equals no justification, okay? Faith plus nothing gives you eternal life, okay? Faith plus human effort gives you no eternal life. Salvation 
by faith plus human effort is no salvation at all. There are two problems with human effort. Number one, you will fail. We are too weak by nature to accomplish self-salvation. I'll say that again. We are too weak by nature to accomplish self-salvation. In other words, saving ourselves. Number two, you are trying to take God's glory. If you think that you get to heaven through your works, you are taking God's glory for your salvation. And you could get there and say, I did it. I made it. We want to reach heaven one day and say, He saved me because I couldn't save myself. You think you can save yourself? The more Bible I know, the more salvation I will have. The more good deeds I do, the more heaven I will have. The more church attendance I have, the more heaven I'll have. The more church doctrine I create and uphold, the surer heaven will be open for me. Ladies and gentlemen, salvation is not dependent on my effort. It's dependent on Christ. So we need to learn to rest in Him and not our own effort. The third point is this. Why Paul would be so upset with this doctrine is because you're exchanging internal transformation for external observance. Romans 2.29 says, A man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. You want to obey the law through circumcision? Okay, let's do it right then. Open your heart to Christ and let Him live in you and clean your heart. Galatians 6.15 says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That refers to the inside. Chapter 5 or 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'll repeat that. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Cutting yourself on the outside won't make you clean. Allowing Christ to cut your heart through faith will clean you properly. Man-made religion elevates what happens on the outside. God's religion elevates what happens on the inside. You can obey all the rules on the outside, but if, you, if you're not being transformed on the inside, your religion is worthless, and Christ is not in you, and Paul is experiencing pregnancy pains because of you. So the church decides, to go back to the verses, I tried to explain to us just briefly, theologically, why this is such a big problem for Paul and Barnabas. Why they are in opposition to the idea that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, as well as Christ. I hope that was clear. So the church then decides, well, let's send the apostles to Jerusalem. Let's hear what the big guns are saying. The big guns, the original apostles down in Jerusalem. It sounds like they are doubting their positions on this, position on this, since they are seeking outside input. But I don't think they are. Why? Because let's look at the text. As they're going to Jerusalem, what are they doing? They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're going through Phoenicia and Samaria. What are they telling the people? They're telling everybody, hey, the Gentiles have been saved. Does, does it sound like Paul what, did not think the Gentiles were saved? Of course they were saved, even though they weren't circumcised. Paul had no issue with this doctrine. I think he went to Jerusalem just to um, perhaps solidify what he already believed. 
and to make sure that they are of one mind, or perhaps to just get the approval from the church in Jerusalem for these people that were um, back in Antioch. So they were not doubting whether God saved the Gentiles without circumcision. And you know what? This news made all the believers glad. Do you see that? It, it made people glad that the Gentiles are being saved by God. The only people who are not happy here are who? The legalists. The spiritual lawyers. The students of the law. Those who were experts in the law. They believed salvation is through law. And they knew the law and could see the Gentiles fall short. The moment, the, the mo this is the difficulty, ladies. To, uh, let me try to put it into words. If we see the Bible as law, we are going to start looking at people and realizing, but they're not living up to it. Right? Because we're going to see, hey, but you know, you're missing that chapter. I'm the first guy that does that. Really, I do. Because I've got to preach this stuff every week. And so I notice when people are just disobeying it. And so what do I become? I become judgmental. Hey, but you're disobeying the law. You're disobeying the law. The moment I see the Word of God as the law, like the Jews saw the Old Testament or the, the law of Moses as the law, I become just as judgmental as the Pharisees were. And I forget that salvation is by grace. It's exactly because we cannot obey everything in it that we need Jesus. That's what the whole gospel is about. So we've got to be very, very careful. What these guys did is, they looked at the law of Moses and they said, well, these guys are not obeying it. And they became judgmental. So, um, so they believed salvation is through law and they knew the law and could see the Gentiles fall short. But who's happy? So they are unhappy. It's the legalists that are unhappy. It's the Pharisees that are unhappy. It's the sectarian people that are unhappy. Those at war with all the other people who believe in the same book. Heaven is happy. The Gentiles are happy. The believers are happy. The religious elite of Judea are unhappy. This is just true. If you believe we get to heaven through laws, we will always be unhappy. And I've got to be honest with you. Like, jeez. I went to a rally the other day. Yeah, the people weren't happy, eh? There was a, a gentleman preaching for an hour about how long your dress must be and how everybody's going to hell. I'm like, yeah, they don't smile, they don't greet you, but they are the only ones that's right. It's exactly like this. And unhappy. Law. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus saves you and your salvation is based on grace and based on what Jesus had done, what's the response? Happiness. I'm so glad he pays because I know I'm weak. But if it's me and how good I am and how seriously I've got to obey this, otherwise I'm going to hell, what's it going to produce? Anger, seriousness, and jittery and anxiety because I never know if I'm going to make it. I'm not going to be friendly necessarily because I'm, 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 I'm constantly worrying that I'm doctrinally correct because the law is saving me. Then verse 5 says, um, Go, Mr. Button. 
Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Here we get it. Remember the text started, there came people from Judea to Antioch, and they brought the same message. Now we see where the message comes from. Who is it that thought this up? It was Christians who came from Phariseeism. So it's Pharisees who were converted. People from the same party that opposed Jesus and killed Him. But however they converted. The Pharisees. Who remembers what Pharisee means? Separate. Separate. The spirit of Phariseeism favors isolation. Division separateness, and sectarianism. You know what sectarianism is? Sectarianism, you have a sectarian mindset if you think you're the only one going to heaven. That's a sectarian mindset. A sect is a group of people who think they're the only ones going to heaven. Nobody else is. That's what the Pharisees were. They were sectarian in their mindset. To be honest with you, most of my life I've been in that. I've been in churches like that. That's how the a cappella churches of Christ are. They've got a lot of that. That is why I titled this lesson, The Separatists Awakened. Because the Pharisees, the ex-Pharisees, they are coming into the mix and they are attacking the church. And they're trying to change the doctrine. Okay, yeah, we accept Jesus, but you need to add this in. We can't stand against Jesus. Yes, okay, He was resurrected from the grave, but here's a little... Let's just put a little of leaven in here. Let's mix up this thing a little bit. Make, dilute the message a little bit. Let's put some works in there. And let's use doctrine and intellect and, and scriptural knowledge to, to mess up this, this whole system. These guys were clever. They knew what they were talking about. When they opened the word, they knew what was happening. They are Christians. They believe in Jesus, but they have not shaken off their Phariseeism mentality, pharisaical mentality. They have not shaken it off. In, in South Africa, we have a saying, you can take the monkey out of the bush, but you cannot take the bush out of the monkey. You've heard that before? Tonight's your first time, brother. I've blessed you all. You can take the Pharisee out of legalistic Judaism, but you cannot take the legalistic Judaism out of the Pharisee. So even though these guys were Pharisees and they'd become Christians, they still carried with them that mindset, that sectarianism, uh, sectarianistic, divisive, law-driven, I'm more righteous than you mentality. They couldn't shake off the law. They didn't know how to do that because they've never been free in their lives. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to just rest in Him. They don't know what that feels like. It's like, no, there must be some boundary, some law. And we need to get all of these people in here, otherwise they're all going to hell. And you guys are claiming that they are saved, but they're not in our little block here. We need to force them into our little block or they're not going to heaven. And God's like standing there and saying, you decide who's going to heaven? Are you crazy? Did I say that or is that what you say? Oh no, but the word says this, 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 this. 
they thought, they, they made a big mistake. They thought they could decide who God saves and who He doesn't. That's the problem. This is something we need to stay far away from. Verse 6 says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Good job. Well done. They met to consider and to get some clear understanding. Now we see three responses after this. Three people stand up. First, Peter stands up. He says a few things. Then Paul and Barnabas stands up and they say a few things. And then James stands up and they say a few things. And I'm going to look at all three and then we'll close off for tonight. First of all, what does Peter say? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Let's pause there for a second. What is he talking about? Cornelius' house. Yes. He's referring back to a historical event. God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. What is He talking about? You've got to go study again. Go read Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues. That's a sign that God accepted them when they did what? When they believed His message. Okay? So, he, God accepted these people by the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine in like Peter's mind, he's like, and you guys don't accept them? God accepted them and He proved it from heaven, but you don't accept them. Be careful to reject the people that God accepts. Be very careful. Verse 9, He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Crazy words. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Can you see? I mean, Jesus came to save us from the law. And we are saved from the law, and now you guys want to go. You want to take the law that us Jews could never handle and never fulfill, and you want to go dump that on the necks of these poor Gentiles. That's just found the good news of Jesus Christ. No. There's an exclamation, no. We believe it is through what? Grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. Saved by grace. So Peter refers back to the house of Cornelius. While he was preaching there, the people believed. The sign of this was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit through speaking in tongues. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit was evidence from heaven that God accepted them and saved them. He knew their hearts and purified them when they believed. Not when they were circumcised. The text doesn't say, the moment they were circumcised, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Or the moment they were circumcised, God purified their hearts. Circumcision is not even there. They believed what happened on the cross. God didn't wait for a blade before He sent His Spirit on them. Jesus came to abolish the law because we couldn't carry its yoke. And now, 
you want to load people up with that again. Jesus takes the weight off our shoulders, and now we want to put it back on again. Be very careful of people who want to put weight on your shoulders. Be very careful. We are saved by grace. Otherwise, it isn't good news. So Peter essentially goes back to the evidence that came from heaven. He goes back to Cornelius' house and he says, here's my reasoning. You know, some, so, this is a side note. Sometimes I find myself doing this. We sometimes get critical about the fact when people say, well, God knows people's hearts. I don't know if you've done that. I've done that before. God knows people's hearts and He'll judge them based on what is in their hearts. Even though we see that happening on the outside. And we get critical of that statement. Yeah, but you must obey the law. And I'm like thinking, this, is, this text is pretty clear. God knew their hearts. While they were there, while they were sinners and Gentiles, while they maybe just came from pagan, a, a pagan background, God sees their hearts and He pours His Spirit on them. Not because they were observing some laws. He pours His Spirit on them simply because they believed. Is what the text says. So when, when, when Peter was busy preaching, they heard it and they said, I believe that. Jesus Christ dies for my sins. And because they experienced that in their hearts, God poured out His Spirit on them. Boom. And they started speaking in tongues. And that's a sign from heaven. It's true. Only God knows people's hearts. I think I reiterate that, that this morning. Only God does. And here's the danger. We might think people are saved because of what we see on the outside, but inside they are rotten. That's what Jesus speaks about so often. Or we might see the outside and assume that their hearts are inside rotten when they are not. Salvation is God's domain, ladies and gentlemen. Steer clear of thinking or saying you know who is going to heaven and who isn't. Leave that to God. So that's what Peter says. Paul and Barnabas, they simply do this. The text says this. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They just stood up and said, hey guys, we went to Lystra, we went to Iconium, we went to a city in Antioch. I mean, these are some of the things that we experienced back on Cyprus and all of these stories. And the people are listening to this. Um, they are talking about the miracles God performed through them to reach the Gentiles. And it's sort of like, let's, let's recap quickly. Peter is saying, hey, remember Cornelius' house? That's evidence that God accepts Gentiles even though they're not circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, hey, we went into the, the Gentile world where people are not circumcised and God performed these miracles through us to bring the message to these people. So of course God accepts these people. Look at the miracles. We are witnesses of this. And then thirdly, James stands up and he says this. When I finished speaking, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild and I'll restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. 
So what does James do? Peter points to Cornelius' house. Paul and Barnabas points to the miracles on their journey. And James says, all of this lines up with what? Scripture. You guys are trying to oppose this, but the Scripture is supporting this. He quotes Amos chapter 9, verse 11 to 12. But then an interesting verse pops up. And I would like us to have a discussion. We've got five minutes left. Listen to what James says. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. It's like, guys, come to Jesus believe, right? And He will save you. And then these guys come say, no, that's, <laughs> it's more complicated than that. Snip, snip in the room over there, please. Because study the law of Moses. There's some clothes and stuff you ought to wear and certain food you're not allowed to eat. What were they doing? They were making it harder for the Gentiles to come to Christ. Who, who wanted Christ? Satan will use us to make it difficult for people to come to Christ who want to come to Him. How does that happen? How can we make it easier for those who are turning to God? How can we make it easier? It's like a, it's like a, a hinge that needs to turn, right? How, you, how can you make an, a hinge turn easier? Let's say the doors at the back there. They don't want to open that nicely. People want to come in. They want to be in Christ. They want to know Him. But the hinge is a problem. The door is always difficult to open up. I think in many ways, it's difficult for people who are lost to come to Christ. I think we make it difficult sometimes. Our rules make it difficult sometimes. Our man-made doctrines make it difficult sometimes. Our attitudes as Christians make it difficult sometimes. Where people are like, yeah, I want to actually know Jesus. Yeah, but I've got to deal with those guys. So, if you spray WD-40, you guys know what that is. It's the miracle oil of planet Earth. I don't know who designed it, but it's incredible. It works for everything, for my bike chains, for the car, whatever. You spray some WD-40 on that door so that when somebody pushes it, it just opens up easy. Here's my question. How can we make it easier for those who are turning to Christ to find Him? It can be easy to stand here tonight and say, well, these are all the ways that we block people, but how can we make it easier, do you think? Come alongside them like Jesus. Instead of, you know, a they, they say that you can train sheep. If you, if, if you want to go and you sort of want to run around them and try to get them into a pen, sheep pen, it's very hard. But if you, if, if you I've, I've heard of sheep farmers who have a plastic little bag, and they just, when they make the sound of the bag, all the sheep just come in. Are you saying that perhaps that's an easier way? This might not be a good illustration, but instead of trying to force people into something, come next to them and guide them into something, 
Yeah. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we are quite forceful. Like you've got to be this, you've got to be this, and you've got to be it now. And I'll be honest with you, that's one of the things that I struggle with. I meet a new person that shows promise to want to be a Christian. After two weeks, I'm like thinking, have you even read your Bible? Do you really want to know him or not? And I want to say it. Could that be a little bit too forceful? Depends on the person. Anybody else? Let me ask a question. Do people, when people come into this church, like on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, how do you think they feel? Do we make it easy for them? They feel welcome? I've seen some, some of you talk to people. That's great. What if we can all be aware on a Sunday morning, first of those people who've come, who, who are not familiar faces here, and we first go talk to them before the person that we know? Would it make it easier for that person to feel connected? I think so. Those are small things that we, we could do. It takes courage to just walk into the, the church where you don't know the people. Right? That's some of the ways we can make it easier. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Yes, and I've, I've personally failed at that. Yeah, I just can't remember everybody's name, but you helped today with what's uh, Misty? Misty, Luke, and Lucas. There's a few people that are, that are visiting. I think we need to be aware, aware of them. Make it easy for them. Um, anybody else? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, we, 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 have, we have good news, right? We can't walk around like we've got bad news. And sometimes that's it. I'll be honest with you. Like sometimes I walk into a church, I'm like, yo, are these people actually happy? Or like, do they want to be here or must they be here? And if they must be there, they, 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 they're not following the gospel. They're following some type of law, gospel plus. Some, definitely joy. <laughs> I understand. Um, I, think, I think people need to see that we are happy. Um, and it has to be genuine. It, it has to, so it comes back to our spiritual lives, right? Um, so I wrote down two things here. Number one, presenting just the gospel. If we can be a church that just presents the gospel, we don't add other laws to it. The gospel saves the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is how you get saved. Somebody asks you, what was I do to be saved? Obey the gospel. Simple. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't add man-made ideas. The moment you add a man-made idea, you're making it more difficult for that person. Because now you're putting stuff in, in the way that Jesus did not put there. It's an extra block of issues you're putting in front of that person. So keep it simple, because it is simple, and it is good news. Number two, so presenting the gospel in, in line with what Dana says, living the gospel. Living it. Do we look and act like people who are saved? 
do we look like people who have received good news? I think that makes a world of difference. So here's a nice exercise. Go look at yourself in the mirror tonight. Ask yourself the question, do I look like I received good news? <laughs> All right. Um, let's pray. Father, please keep us safe throughout this week. Uh, be with